Welcome to And Just Like What, the podcast where somebody who has never set foot in a Soho house and someone who's been kicked out of a Soho house discuss the existential ennui and ongoing art project of the Sex and the City reboot, And Just Like That. I'm Nadia Osman. And I'm Matthew Brian Cohen. And Nadia, please tell me about this time you got kicked out of a Soho house. <laughs> it sounds more exciting than it really is. Um, Were you causing a stir? Were you just uh, like a drunken mess? And just like, <laughs> I deserve to be treated better. This is not what I think you sound like, by the way. This is just a, a stereotypical uh, drunk lady, I guess. I deserve to be treated better. Don't you know who I am? I don't know why. I, you sound like a, when Andrew Dice Clay does an impression of a woman. <laughs> but I wanted to go to the movies. Dice, Dice, <laughs> I wanted to go to the Soho house. Yeah, I um, I was working an event as an assistant um, that happened to take place there. And I was able to invite a couple of uh, girlfriends of mine. Mm. So we went. And Quite I the was, Sex in the City uh, a plot line. Almost. Yeah, kind of. And I was unaware that in order to dine at the Soho House or even have a drink, you have to be a member. So I assumed that we could just go up and have you know a glass of wine and some hors d'oeuvres because it was 9 p.m. or something like that. Mm. Uh, and they asked for our card and we said, oh, we're not members, thinking, oh, this must be not a big deal. Apparently it was a big deal. And they're like, you need to leave. I was like, we just ordered wine. Can we pay in cash? And they were like, no. And they made us leave. Wow, you need to leave. That's, yeah, it was rough. It was really that's rough. crazy. And it was a little embarrassing because I had friends with me. And yeah. they, all, they all understood and were like, this is stupid and bad. Um, and it's not a place that I would normally go to. Uh, and nor would they. But they had a curiosity about it. Mm-hmm. As Sex and the City fans themselves, there are people who would go, oh, yeah, let's see what this is about. This feels, sure. to your point, like a plot line. Yeah. Uh, so I'll tell you what. You can get a glass of wine anywhere. Come yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. What's so exclusive about the Soho house, you know? <laughs> I'll say the inside is simply just like a members club situation. It, it yeah. feels like um, Gen X slash Millennial Z country clubs, mm-hmm. um, which my grandmother was big on. On my mom's side, my grandmother was very into the idea of belonging to a country club and what that means yes. and yeah, the, the status involved. And that's what this feels like to me because I don't know about you, but at least I don't have any friends who are particularly into the idea of belonging to some sort of establishment like that. The closest no. I can think of is not even a we work, but something similar to that and that's literally so they have a place because they live in the studio or they have kids and it's very noisy and they're just like i need somewhere i can go once a week to get three hours of work done and yeah that does not feel like a country club to me that feels like literally just a cubicle (laughs) what's impressive to uh me and my friends is if you have in unit uh washer and dryer yes that would be like (laughs) wow it's like the first thing i comment on if I'm in someone's apartment or home, I'm like, oh, laundry must be nice. Yeah, no, I was at a friend's place for the first time and I saw their in-unit uh, washer and dryer and I, I treated them like they were uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no way. You have an in-unit washer and dryer? They're like, yeah, can you believe it? This is like crazy. 
we made it. And I was like, you guys really did. <laughs> like, oh, it's sad. We live it. We live it. <laughs> We live in we a live bleak, modest lives. The darkest timeline. Yeah. Oh, I'm so but look, sick. I tell you, so the Soho house, they, you don't even get free wine there. It's no. not even right. It's like you have to pay $12 for a glass of Chardonnay. It's uh, like, put another two in this? front of that. It was probably like a $20 glass of wine, and this is like eight years ago. Ugh. I know. I God knows what God. they're charging now. It's um, crazy. I could get a whole bottle, uh, go to the grocery store. <laughs> I get two bottles of wine for that. Come on. They might be charging as much as Enid. Is charging people to help <laughs> with you. her, uh, her uh, alive vivant. That's it, vivant. Alive. Merci. Which Merci. Is, <laughs> yes, alive is the name of this episode, which I love. It is in all caps and an exclamation point at yes. the end. So um, wonderful so title. This week's episode has a, took a lot of different turns. Things I did not see coming. It did yeah. Uh, most of which I didn't see coming. Some things where I went, ah, oh, I think this is what's about to happen. But uh, in terms of where we last left off and getting mm-hmm. into it, was there anything in particular that made you surprised or uh, made you think, oh, okay, because now we're on episode four. So we've yes. established a few things and we had some recurring characters come back. The time jumps between episodes always throw me because I'm always like, I feel like. It's always like months have passed between episodes, right? Is what it like feels like. But sometimes it's like, did a week pass? Is it like the next day? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Time feels very fluid and loose and hard to pin down. Um, But it felt like at least a a month or two has passed since the last episode. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. I would would argue, yeah, three to six weeks, something like that. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Brady is back from his... European tour and has clearly been there for a minute. It feels like uh, everybody else seems to. It's they're in the middle of summer, and I don't think we're it in the was middle of summer, summer when we last no. left, or maybe it was the beginning of summer. No, this show. I mean, like we know how nowadays, like the traditional pilot season. For those of you who are not in the biz, the traditional pilot season uh, do, uh, doesn't really exist uh, anymore. But traditionally, you would kind of shoot things, I think, in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of you would start, like, staffing for shows in, like, May. Uh, but for this show, which exists in a universe where there is a traditional pilot season, uh, they would not be shooting this. Chase Pilot concluded, so it would – it's summer. Right. So Chase Pilot must have been in the spring, like late spring. Right. Maybe yeah. March, I'm gonna April. say they shot that thing April, May, and it's a late yeah. a late addition to mm-hmm. the potential lineup. So if Che Pasa goes through, yeah. They would start staffing it. Who's staffing? Who's staffing for Che Pasa? Who do Nadia? You must know someone I can send my spec to, right? <laughs> Must know someone I, at Che Pasa. I feel like the Che Pasa room is an <laughs> is an older room, uh, full of very a few, old room. A, a this, few veterans who yeah, then end up vets. butting heads with that blue haired showrunner, uh, yes. because the veterans are going. Well, this is what you need to do, and like I'm talking about guys who wrote, you know, season seven, eight, nine of Cheers. Exactly. And then yeah. bopped around, you know, maybe somebody was on the Jeff Foxworthy show, somebody was yeah. on Roseanne. Someone had like a season on Veronica's Closet yes. under their belt. Exactly. It's it's a lot of bopping around between things. Maybe they wrote on a few single cams here and there, but I feel like 
They're stacked they in that it. room. They with absolutely veterans. hated it. They were like, I got to go back to multicam. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, exactly. Where you sit, where you have one joke per page. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, who is definitely uh, getting hired, but they don't realize it is the 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 person you've you've heard the Roseanne room story. Who Jackie? Oh no, no, I I haven't. I'm gonna be butchering this, so dear listeners, please call me out if you remember the full story. Mm-hmm. I believe. It was a cousin of Roseanne. It was somebody who wasn't necessarily somebody who came up through the system writing, who was in the room because they had a huge budget and they were able to just give this person a job. And they weren't mm-hmm. particularly contributing, you know, it was a very quiet person slash somebody where they're just like, who is that? Mm-hmm. And at some point, they were pitching a storyline for Jackie and they stood up and said, who Jackie? <laughs> On the show that they work on. And then eventually, like two weeks later, apparently, pitch this as a storyline. Jackie die. Jackie go to heaven. Everybody love Jackie. Look, I mean, you got to take big swings to make it, you know? It's risks. It's all about risks, guys. Um, Look, I feel like if they were in the room for and just like that, I feel like that's the kind of thing that, you know, that gets you an episode. Who's Steve? <laughs> That's where Michael Patrick King is like, all right, we're assigning you the episode where Steve dies. <laughs> and but it's not just like, oh, Miranda's mourning him. You know, it's like, no, we go to heaven. Like we see <laughs> we're in heaven. Steve and dies, Steve's like Steve go to heaven. Everybody loves Steve. <laughs> he's connecting with his mom. You know, it's great. <laughs> Oh, okay. He runs into Big, you know what I mean? Like, uh, big, like, slides him a whiskey down the heaven, yeah, yeah. whatever long bar there is yeah. in this heaven scene, and gives him a little wink, and is like, you're here too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I got here. I don't know what to do now. I guess I'm a good person. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, all right. I mean, I made some mistakes with Miranda, but I guess overall, I'm up, right? <laughs> I mean, it could I, be worse. It could be a purgatory. <laughs> I guess cheating on her wasn't as big of a deal, huh? I wonder where she's gonna end up. Oh no, <laughs> that's great. She goes to hell. Yeah, right. they both they both sort of uh, <laughs> cheated on the other. She goes to hell. He goes to heaven, and it's just like this is classic. Even God is sexist, you know. This is classic. <laughs> Women always get the short end of the stick. Uh, so speaking of, you want to get into Miranda's uh, story? Let's go. Let's go through this. Let's go through this blow by blow. blow let's by talk blow. about. So uh, this episode, episode four, is entitled "Alive," uh, and we open with uh, Carrie and Bobby Lee uh, eating uh, lunch at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and uh, Carrie uh, gives Bobby Lee, a uh, friend of a show, the copy of her book uh which you know is very uh he's over the moon about it i feel like i guess like the smallest thing you can do considering uh because of you carrie he has lost his job yeah so it's like very nice to be like here's my book you know what i mean i thought maybe he'd mention like oh i no longer have a, a cushy media job because you wouldn't read some vaginal themed uh ad copy but i guess you know no hard feelings 
Uh, yes. Uh, and then apparently he has digestive issues, so he leaves in order for Enid, Carrie's former Vogue editor, to return. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, Candace Spurgeon yeah. is yes. here. Yes. Love and she's her. older. She's great, but she's older. And I think uh, uh, she looks older mm-hmm. uh, than we last saw her mm-hmm. um, because obviously the, the actor has aged. But also this is the theme of the sh- uh, this week's uh, episode, right? This is the theme of the show is age and dealing with age. Yes. Um, and Enid, uh, you know, so sad. I guess, you know, Vogue fired her. I wrote down, uh, you know, the death of traditional media. But uh, Enid got a golden parachute, which he mentions, which is which is great. You know, mm-hmm. we, we we don't all get golden parachutes. Not when we at lose all. Our media jobs, and apparently Enid's um, much more of a legend in publishing than I necessarily thought. Like they present yes. her now as kind of a not quite Ariana Huffington, but it's, similar, right? The ask yeah. Enid thing that she did apparently is like uh, really hot. Yeah, her her very hot Substack, I guess. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, and her new bow, like she's she's kind of killing it in yeah, this she's later doing, chapter. She's in doing life. great, and she's starting a new uh, magazine, an online magazine, I mm-hmm, believe, mm-hmm. Uh, called Vivant. All caps. Which, yeah, just which French alive. Foreign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, because she's like, we're here, we're alive. Yeah, I'm like, even okay. at this old age, yeah. uh, and she. Uh, Pointedly refers to, she says, like, even as we are aging, you know, even uh, like women of our age to Carrie. And Carrie is sort of uh, taken aback by this. She doesn't like that she was lumped in as a, a person of old age. Right. She doesn't consider herself old. Um, and Edith sort of uh, invites her to the premiere party or, or launch party uh, for this. Or I don't know what it what it is, but some party for Vivant. Um, and Carrie would like to get like a, uh, you know, uh, never got like a blurb mm-hmm. for her book from mm-hmm. Enid. I guess she sent it and uh, Enid never replied. But she's like, I really like if you would mention it in uh, Ask Enid. And so th- there's a bit of a tit for tat going on here. Yeah, there's an element here where I go, to your point, the death of media publishing has media and publishing, I should say, have Mm -hmm. made it so that now the best way for somebody who is a former journalist, if they can't go through traditional channels, seems to be to go directly to consumer, right? So Mm -hmm. creating your own newsletter, creating your own website, creating your own ability to utilize the great big World Wide Web and the huge potential audience that you can tap into. So I wonder how much of this is a comment on the fact that we Carrie is still doing things the old way, you know. Now, I yes. I have author friends, so I know the, how important a blurb can be for the sale mm-hmm. of a book, as well as obviously, you know, you and I are both very familiar with promotion. So when someone who has an audience is able to promote your work for you as a favor, it is a huge deal. It is big, and, yes. And Enid being like, if I blurb you, I gotta blurb everybody. Feels almost like a pointed comment, not just about uh, what's happening industry-wise, which is like, I have to keep my little sector to me, but almost like a potential comment on a generational gap, where for Enid coming up, there were not very many women. And for Carrie, it's much more about all the women should be supporting each other, 
at least to mm. some degree, because she's coming through, you know, like in a second, third wave feminism kind of way. So yeah. with that in mind, I wonder how much of this is simply just Enid looks at it and goes, I can't keep supporting. If I support you, I have to support everybody. And then that eats into everything. A little bit of a pulling up the ladder behind me. Yeah. To which I was like, why not, Enid? Why not blurb a book a week? Do you really think that that's uh, that big a deal? You were a Yeah, it's not going to dilute your brand. Yes. Right. If she's that big a deal, I am certain that she has set PR boxes. I'm certain that she's got a, a heavily used Instagram helped out by an assistant who's creating videos for that. Like, it seems as though she's got sort of a mini goop thing going on or wants Which to Which is mentioned, right, in the scene, right? That that she's doing, I think she says, like, she's doing as well as goop or, like, better than goop. Yeah, something like that. So it makes She's me- on the goop level. Right. You know, she's and- in the goop. She's in the... <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's knee-deep in the goop. She- <laughs> she's wading into goop ponds. Yes. Um, or goop so Not the only one uh, who deals with goop in this episode. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we will, will get there. Yes. Uh, we will but deal yeah, with it the just goop. made me think uh, it, it felt very pointed. It was almost like this comment about uh, how what's happened is older generations seem to, to your point, pull the ladder up behind us and say, no, you figure it out, do it on your own. Even though they had it easier. Yes. And how older generations. I think uh, deal with uh, women in the workplace uh, comes up again in this episode. So I think yes. that's, that's a really interesting way to look at the scene. I didn't think of that when I was watching it, but I, re- I really like that. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so basically it's implied, you know, it's like, I would love for you to kind of write for Vivant. Um, Vivant. Yes. I'd love for you to write a uh, Carrie for you to write for Vivant. Um, please come to my party. And, you know, if you do this favor for me, I will help promote your book. Right. So there's that little bit of that tit for tat. Yeah. Uh, then we go to uh, uh, Harry and Charlotte. Rock is and Lily are going away to summer camp. Lisa's there with her husband. Uh, all the kids at this uh, this fancy private school are going away. They're all like, oh, so sad. We're going to miss you. But then the kids leave and then, huzzah. Yes. Hooray. We, we now have uh, some time to ourselves to be adults. And Harry and Charlotte just can't wait. To have sex. They are <laughs> running home to have sex in the middle of the day. Yes. So they can't, they, and when I say they can't wait, like the implication seems to be like, don't you guys, you know, what are you guys going to be doing? And they just kind of speed off and like yeah. run to fuck. They're run. Yeah. They're sprinting. Yeah. Uh, which is also, it's not like they don't have sex. And in, in previous seasons, they were still having sex. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so it doesn't feel like, being parents is uh, impeding their ability to make love, you know? Uh, especially these are people of means. They have uh, you know, nannies, you know what I mean? I love that you referred to it as making love because this was maybe one of the <laughs> weirdest sex scenes I've ever seen depicted uh, in media. Yeah. Which is saying something. And, I, and I'm not somebody who watches like, I, I, or I'm excluding pornography from this. I'm talking about... Uh, a, a television and feature film media yes. here. Yes. Uh, the sex in this episode overall, I think, is very weird. Yeah. Um, and it's not because it's, oh, these are older people having sex. No, not um, at all. Not at all. Which I think is great and I think needs to be seen more. And I think the sex lies of people who are, uh, we'll just say 50 plus, uh, Carrie, uh, 
uh, should be presented on uh, film and is very interesting to get into. But specifically how these people interact with each other while having sex is weird and feels weird. And I think deliberately so. Yeah. I think we are meant to feel a little unsettled by all of this. Yeah. It just, I don't know how you felt, but I felt uncomfortable. And again, it has zero to do with their age or the actors. It had to do with the the actual scene. And um, I could not tell if the show was trying to present that here are two people that actually don't get around to doing this much. So it's been a second. So maybe their, Mm -hmm. uh, their bag of tricks hasn't been used in a second. And how much of it was simply, well, we want to write something a little bit graphic or we want to present a more graphically sexual scene. Mm -hmm. But it didn't quite achieve that for me. So instead, you've just got Charlotte saying, you know, do you, I guess, like, do you want to come on my tits? But yeah, so l- but so let's talk. Let's go. Let's go forward to this scene, right? So uh, when uh, Charlotte and Harry are having sex, um, she says, "Like, do you want to come on my tits?" Um, and he's like, "Well, it's not my birthday, or it's not Hanukkah." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, implying that this is uh, a rarity, a little treat. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that you he gets to have. You can come which, on my tits as a treat. <laughs> I yeah, I I guess is to me then that implies oh this is like a little thing he loves but she doesn't love mm-hmm. but uh, throughout the episode it doesn't feel like a thing she doesn't love because specifically in a later scene she mentions how much she likes cum and jizz <laughs> yeah she calls you know? it the fourth of july fireworks like she yeah. wants the she wants to so, see the big finale this doesn't feel like a thing of like okay well you know as a treat you get to do this it feels like a thing that she likes too you know what i mean or mm-hmm. or so i i don't really get that why this is like a, a little favor um, but anyway, so Harry, uh, you know, ejaculates, uh, but nothing comes out. Right. Uh, and Charlotte assumes he faked an orgasm. He insists it's real. I thought the setup for this plot line was going to be that he is faking an orgasm. Maybe he's like, she's worried he's no longer attracted to her, but no, this is legitimate. He just, uh, cannot produce semen. Yes. As, um, as Anthony tells us, I believe the technical term is dust balls. Yes, uh, yes, but uh, but the, going back a little bit because just to even set up before we get to what feels like the best scene of the, this episode, the scene that most harkens back to the original series, um, we see where Miranda's at. She's at home. She's living with Steve. Steve is uh, he's got a punching bag that he's installed in their bedroom. Miranda's sleeping on the couch. Uh, we see Steve shirtless. He's looking great. Hey man, he's hitting that. He, he's hitting that. Uh, what what is the term for that when it's like a hanging? Hitting the bag, heavy bag. Heavy bag. Thank you. He's clearly working out some aggression. Oh yes, well. definitely. But you know, and looking looking amazing. You know what I mean? He's oh, got yeah. great form, and you know he's cut. I've been working out, a- Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I mean, look I good why, if I'm gonna see if I'm gonna yeah, go to heaven. I can see why God wants him in heaven, you know? <laughs> Those abs? It's like Yes, please. Uh, yeah, it, it, in, it sets just up that, based on your body alone. <laughs> it sets up that Brady's home, they're going to mm-hmm. family therapy. Um yes. and uh Miranda and Shay are still in communication, so they're not broken up, despite the fact that yes. the previous episode made it almost- Implies. Yeah, they implied that something was off. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, no, Miranda gets a text from Che. Che's in Houston, I believe, uh, with a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miranda <laughs> smiles at that picture. Um, and then we go to uh, Kiri's with Seema. Mm-hmm. Um, Seema learns that uh, Kiri's editor uh, and former boss was Enid. And is like, oh my God, I love Ask Enid. This, this woman's a legend. Uh, you know what I mean? You got to have a transactional relationship with her. Yes. You know? You must um, attend the startup. Yeah. That, uh, which yeah. I took a note of because it's like, attend a startup? <laughs> I, I was I was confused. It was another, you know, it, it falls in line with, um, we need a name for this, when it's comedy concert and these yeah. kind of deliberately. And just like that-isms. Yes, and just like that-isms, you know, exactly. Where it's like not quite how humans speak. It feels a little chat GPT. <laughs> just a smidge, which is, I, I apologize to the writers. I know, but it feels too deliberate to me. So I pointed out because I think it's, as we've talked about before, their attempt to showcase that this is not a world that you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Seema encourages a negotiation. Basically, you got to do this. You need her to plug your book. Um, something I caught in this conversation is care is apparently on book two of a three-book deal. Three-book deal, and yes. And sort of has the arrogance to complain about the publishing climate, which I found... I know. You've got a three-book deal, baby. Come on. Very entitled. Very entitled. And clearly carries... I mean, beyond her financial situation and what happened, um, whatever she inherited through her late husband, etc. Which is a lot. Yes. I mean, if the, as later we find out, $100,000 is... Chunk of little change. financial consequence or yeah. Yeah. I am so confused as to she was definitely working. She's published other books before. To get a mm-hmm. three book deal means like you have to have done other things. And I obviously know we we've seen her with her other books in the past, but like there's something so off about she has this three book deal and is this concerned about a blurb? Yes. She's been given a probably a hefty advance or, yeah. or I assume she took a hefty advance because she knows how the publishing industry is going. So it's- yeah, with a three book deal and she's not some young adult like fantasy writer, you know what I mean? With like yeah. her version of like, oh, this is like, you know, like Carrie in the cupboard and it's a, you know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Like a little, like, kind of fantasy thing that it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, yeah, you, punch yeah. out a bunch Carrie of these and we're going to sec- make a movie. She opens the secret yeah. cupboard to a land of shoes where a war yeah. has been raging for, eld- for elder on 2000 millennia. And now she yeah, must like, join look, forces. 13 year old boys love this. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> we are going to pump out. A Netflix show, uh, like seven movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a it's not a vampire thing. It's not a supernatural no. thing. Nor is it even a fictional These are memoirs. thing. Yeah, there me- yeah. there are three memoirs back to back to back. And even Which, if- I gotta say, three memoirs. It's just like, look, even Obama stopped at two. You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> this is like. Well, even and if this it, is, even these if aren't it's even different. her first memoirs, really. This is like yes. this is like her fifth. <laughs> even Jeez. even if even if let's say it was a three book deal and the books are different, like the first one is more of a memoir about the, her husband's death, mm-hmm. and the second one is say a collection of essays, and mm-hmm. the third is you know something that's a mix of the two, maybe something more in the creative nonfiction realm. I'm still just surprised that she has the audacity to be this obsessed 
about a blurb, and it just tells me that once again, the show wishes to highlight that these people are stuck in a time from the past. Mm-hmm. And that in rather than starting a Substack herself, or rather than creating her own audience, Carrie is very invested in getting other people to promote for her. Yes, true. And I think this also shows she has to be one of the biggest authors in the world. You know what I mean? Yes. In terms of like people who like to get a three book deal, like who would get that now? Like David Sedaris? Even? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Uh, Roxanne Gay, Samantha Irby, maybe in that uh-huh. vein. I think Samantha Irby is actually a consultant on this show, which oh. um, I love because she's uh, hysterical. But there is something. She's a top five writer in the world. Yeah, in terms yeah, of, exactly. You know? There's there's something off. There's something off about the fact that like like at this point, Carrie would be maybe not a household name, but a literati name. Yeah, you know, if you read sure. books, she she they're gonna feature her stuff in a Barnes and Noble. Yes, uh, yeah, she is like a shade below Stephen King. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it has to be, you know. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, New York Times bestseller that's like yeah, yeah, printed yeah. on Even the Even if front. it's like, oh, people are like, ugh, this isn't serious literature. It's like, well, she's moving copies. Right, exactly. She gets her own uh, little station just like uh, Emily Henry, who I don't know if you're familiar yes. with, but. Uh, uh, no, I am not. Lots but. of beach treats, uh, all Ooh, kind of okay. in the same illustration and font, and they're insanely popular. But yeah, it, love it. it, it yeah, gotta read something at the beach, you know. If, That's the time to read. If this show, I think, was based in our current reality, it would be Carrie goes to her neighbor and asks for help on like, how do I get into book talk, book TikTok? Mm-hmm. But instead, yeah. it's let's go through <laughs> these older channels. Um, yes, um, but yes, then we then we go to uh, the scene I was saying. This is what feels the most like the old show, right? Yes. Which is uh, it is uh, Carrie. And Miranda and Charlotte and Anthony out for lunch. They're talking about uh, uh, Charlotte's uh, jizz misadventures mm-hmm. uh, with Harry. Um, and, you know, they're getting uh, ribald. They're telling jokes. They're firing zingers and one-liners, talking about cum being like an old friend that, you you know, you don't like, but then you miss when he's gone. You know, it, it's funny. It's sharp. Yeah, it, it re- Casper it really the Friendly Come is a solid joke. Just the idea yes. that um, they're even talking about this stuff so openly feels refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of Sex and the City. Like this yes. could have been a scene from Sex and the City if, and just like that, was a continuation of Sex and the City. This is what we would see. Right. Is stuff like this. Right. Which I think is it's very interesting to me that this was put in this show, which has kind of avoided moments like this. It really has. Like this definitely harkened back to those times. And even having Anthony there as quote unquote the sole ejaculator at the Mm -hmm. table, uh, there there felt like, oh, this is something that's been missing for me in this art project is a little bit of levity. There's been a lot of heaviness, a lot of bleakness. And while I understand that we're dealing with a lot of heavy themes like loss and grief, et cetera. And aging. And aging. There is something, you know, there's the lighter side of aging, which is uh, jizz-free sex. Yeah. Which is still, you know, it's an issue and a thing. It's like, oh, my God, this is what's happening as we get older. But it's approaching it, like you said, with some levity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And then you get fun lines like where it's like, I've always been a fan of mayo. I I died. I died. I was like, I've always been a fan of mayo. This is what I think. 
I don't want to say what the show needs, but this is what a Sex in the City continuation would be like. Yeah. Having- it's this kind of zippy dialogue, mm-hmm. these kinds of back and forth, the little one-liners, the clever turns of phrases, rather than like the parade of humiliation that, <laughs> and just like that is. Which we're definitely going to return to, but we get this little break in this episode uh, mm-hmm. with the announcement of who knew you were such a cum slut, you know? And it's just, yes. it's delightful. It's delightful. Yes. I was not expecting this much cum talk. Um, no. <laughs> but I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, I am less here for this moment in the doctor's office when they go to figure out uh, the, the, mis- the mystery of the missing cum. And the doctor says, excuse me about the power bar and just starts like eating through this session. <laughs> What was this moment? Because it, it felt like when he started doing that, I was like, oh, it's going to be about the doctor is weird. And you know what I mean? But yes. it's just a slight thing. He just says, like, excuse me, uh, like long day, low b- blood sugar. And he just eats. But it's not it's not highlighted enough where it's funny. And it's there's no point to it. You know what I mean? Like we didn't. It's one of those pointless details that doesn't like go anywhere. Or doesn't tell us anything about this doctor. You know what I mean? Like sometimes like a show like The Sopranos would have little details where it's like, oh my God, this is such a specific kind of person. Like I'm thinking of uh, the character of Elliot Coverberg. His water bottle had like a mesh net mm-hmm. that he carried it around in, which was always funny, never commented on. But it's just like, oh my God, of course this guy would have a water <laughs> bottle and a mesh net. <laughs> I forgot you know? about that detail, but yes. It's so funny. It's incredible. Um, uh, yeah, this this doctor. I thought for a second that the as somebody who ate a few power bars as a kid because they were pushed on her at swim meets, like mm-hmm. almost like an MLM. Like at some point, <laughs> there was like a two three month period where somebody ordered four thousand boxes and like had a whole tent set up at swim meets and was like, "Take a power bar, please take a power bar." <laughs> like they're just trying to offload these power bars that fell off a truck. Uh, I thought that that guy was going to be eating and there would be mispronunciations or there'd be a, a comedic. Yeah, like, bit. what did you say? Yeah. Yeah. It would be, yeah. And it, and it really not really. The, no. the mispronunciation came from Harry seemingly not knowing. I wasn't entirely clear. He definitely didn't know. And I wrote this down because it was weird to me because yeah. he makes a joke where they're like, you, sh- you need to do kegels. And it's like, do you know what kegel uh, what kegels are? And he goes, yeah, it's all I eat during the high holidays. And then they go, no, not kugel, kegel. And he goes, huh. You know, like in a way it was like, initially I thought, oh, he was making a little joke, yeah. right? But then it's revealed that no, he didn't know what kegels were right and that he legitimately thought the doctor was like you're gonna have to eat kugel <laughs> like it's, I, you know what i mean like i don't like it was so it doesn't odd. make sense it made sense if the character was making a joke but if he's not making a joke it's like did you really think the doctor prescribed prescribed you like have some like noodle kugel <laughs> right yes and the fact that like yeah if he's gonna make a joke and she's like no 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 kegels and he goes like yeah. i know but i thought that was yeah. only for women then we can get yes, into like that's funny okay yeah, that's male a- anatomy and female anatomy are more in common than we think etc but like yeah the, uh, it was just so odd and i thought harry's not that stupid yes it's it's very it's very stupid to think that a doctor legitimately would be prescribing you eat Jewish food. Right. For uh, for your to help dry get the comeback in your balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eat, 
<laughs> Eat your Passover sides for your dry ejaculation. Uh, I so I am also taken aback by the idea of Charlotte's going to really coach Harry through Kegels and then announces, remember, you have to uh, you're, use it like an elephant's trunk slurping from the river. Look, this is a fun light scene that I thought was it was kind of delightful to see, uh, you know, uh, Charlotte coaching Harry through Kegels. Yeah. I thought it was a, a fun little thing. What struck me as interesting is I feel like, you know, I remember them bringing up Kegels in the original series. And of course, Samantha does them all the time. And it made me go, oh, I wonder if in this universe, Charlotte learned a thing or two or socked away stuff and just didn't want to present it to the women in public. Or has Charlotte just changed so much with age and with kids and everything else that that Charlotte's much more open and sexually honest than even Carrie is at this point Mm -hmm. when she was always representative of tradition, family. Uh, money, the conserv not conservative values in a political way, but more in like traditional way, and mm-hmm. to then see her be so like I love jizz and I'm going to help my husband come with his elephant dick and like I'm going to coach him through all of this. Like it feels not like a total departure from the character, but it feels like an evolution. That's unexpected. A growth. A growth. And it feels like something that I wish was called out more within this art project that like, hey, this was what happened before. And then in the 20 years that have since passed, this is where we ended up. Uh, And there's reasons for that. But Mm -hmm. mainly, you know, her own education or her own getting over herself, etc. Yes. We have a scene with uh, Lisa and her husband. Yes. Enjoying the fact that their kids are away. Um, and he mentions he wants to run for city comptroller, but he doesn't really want to do it because he doesn't want to put all the pressure on Lisa to raise the kids. Quick scene. Uh, not much going on here, except it sets up a thing later. Yeah. And all I thought was George Washington's running for office. <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> And they don't say his name enough times. They yeah, say Mother Wexley. I'm aware that their last yes. name is Wexley. I wrote it down later and I already forgot. It was a thing I was like when I was watching the show earlier and I was taking notes. And then when they mentioned his name, I was like, write it down. I'll remember it uh, for the when we record. And I totally forgot <laughs> because they never say it. So, um, so there we, you go. So we cut to family therapy, which is finally kind of calling out stuff and... Brady yes, well, this is with Miranda, astute. Steve, and Brady. Much smarter than we give him credit for. Uh, mm-hmm. I, first, I want to point out, I love this therapist. Mm. She's kind of young, mm-hmm. and she's got a very 50s style yes. to her. Yes, Is this a poodle skirt, Nadia, that she's wearing? <laughs> what is this? But she, You know what I mean? She's definitely got, I think they were going for like young uh, Williamsburg therapist mm-hmm. of some kind. Something like that. Uh, and... For me, I wish that, I mean, therapy scenes are often difficult to write and can be kind of boring because there's two people talking, yes. right? Unless you have some big giant blow up or you're a Tony Soprano. Uh, but what struck me during the scene the most is 
you know, she calls out, you know, let's talk about what the family dynamic is here and let's get into it. And there's such resistance from both Steve and Miranda. And I believe Steve is the one that says, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is the one who's like, it's okay, I'll move out. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that he says, like, I'm, I'll find somewhere closer to Scout. Scout's my bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even try to fight him on it, too. She just looks at yeah. him and says, thank you. And in my head, I'm yeah. like, okay, feels sure. You know what? I wasn't there for the every scene of your marriage. So yeah, may maybe this is what he was always supposed to do. But Yes, uh, but... You know, Steve is trying to be the rock here and provide stability for the family. Um, Brady mentions that he doesn't want to start college in the fall. Steve goes, hey, that's your decision. You know, we're here for you. Miranda holds back anger. And then we cut to uh, Miranda and Carrie chatting about this. And she mentions, you know, like, I'm, I'm so upset at Steve for, you know, allowing him to do this. But I feel like I can't say anything. Because I was the one who fucked this up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do we think of this idea of a silent agreement between partners? Um, in a romantic like relationship. In, the, in this show or like I th in real life, I think this happens all the time, right? That people sort of, uh, and not just in romantic relationships. I think any relationship, people uh, establish their rules and their boundaries. And a lot of it is done by... The, you know, the, this kind of silent agreement where it's just like, okay, I get the deal now. You know, it's like, this is our relationship. Mm -hmm. Even in terms of like friendships where it's like, we're the kind of friends where it's like, we only do blank together. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I don't, uh, I don't text you about like personal life stuff, but it's just like, hey, whenever, you know, the, uh, like the Dodgers are in town, we're going to go <laughs> yes. see the game. Yes, exactly. Um, and in, and in this case, she kind of just, uh, you know, it's called out, like, why didn't you say anything? And she just says, we have this silent agreement. And I wonder whether that will come back into play or not, or whether that is just an expression of the silent agreement. I mean, if we really want to take this in a direction, it could be almost a signaling or a metaphor for the silent agreement that Americans have with America currently. Mm. Uh, the idea that Americans in general have this silent agreement with our governments, our authority figures, the people in charge, that, hey, don't start World War III, make our food and gas as cheap as you can, <laughs> and we'll put up with a lot. Yes. Don't take away our treats, and you can take away our civil liberties. <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of the deal, right? It's just like, as long as I get to go to Applebee's yes, yeah. once a week, yeah, I, it's like- My you cousin can sort doesn't of, have any rights anymore, but, yeah. you know. You can funnel as much money as you want to the, our, uh, the cops and the military as you need. You know, you can start endless wars around the globe, just as long as my standard of living, living is at a certain level, have at it, you know? Yeah. And I won't expect anything from you. I won't ask you for health care. <laughs> I won't ask you, you know, for uh, any sort of like social safety net in terms of like retirement or child care. It's just like, do whatever you want. Just make sure I have access to my Funyuns, you know? It's just like, make sure the store is stocked with Funyuns and I'm fine. <laughs> it does make me wonder if... In a weird way, Miranda is actually supposed to be representative of a huge sector of Americans who are going through these big mega changes in their life, 
don't really want things to change, but kind of want to have their cake and eat it too, but they can't. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to sort of enter these silent agreements. Uh, and how long will they put up with that? You know, because in a weird way, Miranda's in another silent agreement with Shay and in a silent agreement with her son. And mm-hmm. it just makes me think if we're going to map this on to what everybody else is experiencing. You know, if Carrie is mega wealth and I mean, they all have mega wealth, but like mm-hmm. if Carrie's biggest problem becomes, you know, the Democrats are calling again and this mm-hmm. this other rich woman won't blurb my book. Uh, Miranda seems to be the one who's almost represents the middle to upper middle class American, so to speak. In a very odd, odd roundabout way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that. There's a lot of truth to that, and that's very interesting. I'm still processing. I'm still thinking about that, but I really like that. Okay, the next scene uh, is uh, as as Carrie and Miranda are talking about this, we're at uh, now Che's new apartment. Lyle is there. I'm confused why Lyle is in New York when he was in L.A. working in Malibu. You know what I mean? We learn as like the evening progresses, they're all hanging out that I guess Che's done filming and is back in New York for a little bit to see whether or not the show gets picked up. Che Passa gets a green light or not. Lyle helped Che move across the country, which it's a lot to do for your ex-wife. Yeah. You know, to like, to help your ex-wife do a, a cross country move to drive them across the country in your truck with all their stuff is a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was, and it just makes me go back to the entire thing of Che, which is Che could have absolutely rented a place or worked yes. with the studio or stayed with a friend or had an Airbnb. What were they? Do- yeah, what were they doing? Rather it's- than moving everything entirely just to come back to New York, or why not stay? In Los Angeles for a while, keep, you know, doing gigs, keep touring, etc., rather than coming all the way back. Che's a mess. Che doesn't know what they want. Che is a mess. And that's what we're supposed to, I think, take away from this, because it's like, as the night progresses, we sort of learn that Che and Lyle, they were in a poly mm-hmm. together. You know what I mean? Uh, that uh, Lyle got pegged by someone in the, the poly. And this is making... Uh, Carrie very uncomfortable. It's odd. Yeah. At first, Carrie's and over there, and I, I think he says, what's your story? And she's basically mm-hmm. like, no, you. You tell me yours, which, okay, fine. Um, I don't know why it had to be set up that way, but he turns out he was a Beverly Hills hairdresser. Um, and... I, it just feels like they're filling in every like LA stereotype possible. Yeah. Oh, and we should also mention that like while Carrie and Lyle are are talking, uh, Che and Miranda start to hook up. Yes, like immediately. Weird. This is so weird and uncomfortable. It's like crazy to do. Even if you haven't seen your significant other in like a while, it's just like, not now. (laughs) If the theme is age, it definitely feels like what they're trying to present here is what happens if you're much older and you try to act much younger, 
you know? Yes, because, you act like a teenager. Right. Yeah, teenager slash early 20s because- And they mention so that later where it's like, oh, we're acting like we're in college. Like yes. when, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, um, Carrie and Lyle immediately break the couch and, uh, which <laughs> will come up later, but uh, her yeah. poor couch that is barely set up from Ikea is immediately broken. Um, so instead they're all just kind of hanging out around it or in, in the bedroom, it's kind of back and forth discussing, uh, their poly, they were poly pioneers, I believe is how it was phrased. (laughs) Um, which, you know, good on them. There's a part of me there. Well, there's a few things about this. First off, the idea of. Uh, polyamorous relationships and ethical non-monogamy is something that I think has gained a lot of traction, I would say, certainly over the last five to ten years. It's a mm-hmm. little bit more widely accepted. I think before, it was probably seen as like, you know, oh, you're swingers. Oh, you love this or that. Like, it was a little bit more dismissive, right? And I wonder how much of the intent behind this is to present them as actually that progressive forward thinking when it comes to romantic and sexual relationships and how much of it is meant to be presented as look at these perverts because it it kind of felt like a little judgmental no well carrie yeah carrie definitely if if carrie's meant to be you know our sort of audience surrogate as i feel like she always was right um even as she drifts further and further away from any sort of mainstream relatability she is judging them, and she finds this kind of disgusting. Yeah, I don't know why um, pegging is the thing that like throws the, her off so much. But whatever. Yeah, but but I will also say that Lyle and Shay are presented as like kind of gross and annoying. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Where it's just like I don't care what you want to do, but it's just like, do you have to have sex like in front? You know what I mean? Shay's the kind of person <laughs> who's willing to like just fuck in front of other people, which is like a not cool to do. You know? Yeah, it's it's very. It feels. Um, regressive it feels uh, immature it definitely Mm -hmm. feels like the kind of thing where if you're 23 and trying to rebel against the system and society and your parents Mm. and everything that you grew up with then yeah uh doing some sort of sexual act in the same room as other people feels like whoa but you know it just at this point, at their age, it kind of, it, it feels like, you know when a, a teenager discovers a, a musician or a film mm-hmm. and they're yes. like, holy shit, my mind is blown. And you're like, yeah, that's the thing that influenced all this other shit you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, you're describing my journey when, when I got into the Beatles in college. <laughs> and I was like, the Beatles are amazing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, everybody... Everybody kind of already knew that. Wow, the biggest band in the world. Revolver (laughs) is really good. And it's like, yeah, we all know it's a really good album. Yeah. It's been good for, you know, 45 years. And we've all been been there. And I'm not judging because I've I've definitely been there. And we need this. We need this in order to grow. Like, this is uh, something that's very necessary to, I think, people's youth. But the issue here is that we've got a upset Miranda who's like, we're going to now go into the same bed as a passed out Lyle to fall asleep and then fool around 
Yeah, they have sex then after Kiri leaves when she's uh, like, all right, I've had enough with this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, we find out that Lyle is uh, passed out uh, in bed. And Brenda's like, can we move him to the couch? You know what I mean? It's just like, which is like, just slow your roll. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, do you need to have sex now so badly? It's weird. And it's like, you can't even. It's like, just do it on the floor in the living room. You know what I mean? It's you just did like, it in a on. kitchen once before. Why not, yeah. uh, you know, christen this one as well? Yeah, but instead, yeah, no, they have sex uh, while Lyle is passed out. And then uh, this storyline ends with Lyle wakes up, starts joining in. Mm-hmm. Um, Miranda's uncomfortable about it. And Shay sort of, I would I wrote down, kind of lightly pressures Miranda into joining. You know what I mean? Yes. By being, when Miranda's like, I don't know, maybe, you know, my initial uh, response was I was kind of repulsed, but... Then I'm thinking, am I just scared? Because it's new for me. And Shay's like, oh, it's getting less hot the more you talk about it. Which is clearly like, hey, make up your mind now. You know what I mean? Rather than like, okay, you know, think about if you want this. And uh, they try to do it. But Miranda uh, gets a a, a Charlie horse. (laughs) Again, we humiliate our characters. uh, And Miranda is like, I can't do this. Shay comes out and is like, hey, sorry. Um, and then they just have sex. Yeah, which I don't know why they didn't do that in the first place. Uh, don't know why. And it's very clear. It's like Miranda and Chase's relationship is just based on sex. Yes. This is like there's nothing more here than like these are just people who fuck. Yeah. So And it's I mean, there's a few things that really bump for me about the scene, which is one, the idea that we're not even going to have this discussion. Like mm-hmm. you would think if these are two people who are um into each other this much sexually that these conversations would have come up, you know, they would have had conversations about, I'm interested in uh, like bringing a third. And also it's like, if your third is your ex husband, that to me is also very weird. Right. Yeah, I would be like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. The the ease with which he slipped in here feels like you guys are still fucking, you know what I mean? Like exactly. Cause it's like, if it was like someone else, it's like, oh, I'd want to bring in a third. But it's just like the third you're, the, you're bringing in is someone you were married to for years. Yeah, if we're going to map this on to Miranda. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> if we're going to map this on to Miranda is all of us as Americans, this feels almost like a, a forceful um, a, a forceful law being pushed through without us having any say so. And they're like, you're cool with this, right? And it's like, well, this I- is the Supreme Court. Yes. This is the Supreme Court gutting Dobbs. This is the yes. Supreme Court saying student loan forgiveness. It's, uh, it's hum- opening up, you know, discrimination against gay people. Yeah. And it's just it's all like- of us being like, well, okay, I, gu- I guess we can work with this. Let me think for a second. And they're like, you better be on board. Um, and instead, we're <laughs> humiliated. Uh, it's also, or I mean, this, this whole scene was a personal nightmare of mine and like why I have uh, never engaged in a threesome because it feels like it's too much, it's too it's much, too much, it's work. too much. And especially for a character that was so pragmatic and so uh, reasoned, it's, it's to me feels like, yes, this is somebody who would want to talk this through, make a pro and mm-hmm. con list, figure out what's happening. And then at a later date, yes. perhaps when the time is right. But uh, but no, I think as viewers, we're supposed to meant like Che is bad news. Like do not get. And the fact that 
Che is still fucking their ex-husband, we're supposed to be like, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, do not get into any kind of relationship with this person because this person kind of is only interested in casual sex. Yeah, there's a lot of red flags. A lot of red yeah. flags. Tons of red flags. Um, but that's Miranda yeah. for this episode. Yeah. Uh, w- we go back to um, Lisa and George Washington. Uh, it is their 20th wedding anniversary party. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlotte and Harry are there. Lisa's father is there. And the uh, George Washington's mother mm-hmm. is also there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked in a previous scene, they mentioned like, oh, they don't get along. And we, we sort of see, we see why, uh, because Lisa's dad is kind of a little anti-capitalist. Billy D. Williams, correct? Yes, this is Billy D. Williams. Uh, and yeah, he doesn't really like that George Washington is like a Wall Street banker or what does he do? But he's like, I don't know, something, uh, involving money. Um, yeah, he's an artist. Yeah, he opened up a theater in Newark. Yeah, he he uh, he's a playwright. Yeah, he's he's got a lot going on. He passed it on to his daughter, and there's a clear budding heads of of value systems between all the in laws and their kids. Yes, uh, and we find out that because it's like, why is no one at this party? They were so busy, uh, George Washington forgot to send out the invites. Which... Forgot to hit send. I don't understand, because even if you're not used to sending out an evite or something like that, uh, there's usually a confirmation email that you get sent. Yeah, you would think this would get caught. I think this is also plays into these people are older than they realize, right? They don't know how to work paperless post, uh, and so instead they end up having this dinner that's charlotte and harry uh mm-hmm. the in-laws them and this rando mark kasabian who i assume yes spells Ma- recognize this actor from a bunch of things Victor Garber. this guy's great yes yes beautiful character actor uh i assume that mark is spelled with a c m-a-r-c um Ooh, interesting <laughs> i that, wrote down m-a-r-k that, that's how he- they present themselves to me. Um, and mm. this guy remembers Charlotte from her art gallery days. Her gallery days, yes. And makes an offer uh, to give her a job. And Charlotte turns it down, but it definitely seems like something that could probably come back into play because I don't think you get Victor Garber for just uh, one scene like that. No. Uh, and she turns the the job down because uh, she's like, my kids need me. Uh, and she doesn't know how she could juggle the responsibilities of being a mother with this job. And, and she kind of feels like, oh, this was a past life when I was uh, working at a gallery, but now I'm a mother and a wife. And I don't sort of do those things anymore. But she seems very flattered. And she says, you know, this made my night that you offered it. Um, I want to talk about this the situation, right? Which is like this party where they say we have like, you know, a, a four course meal. Is meant for thirty-one people, but you know only six are here. How do you, this is obviously presented as like this is a an awkward, shitty situation. I don't know how you think, Naughty, but I was like, this feels cool. <laughs> <laughs> I would have a lot of fun at this. I would have fun one because I would know like the the, the hosts that George Washington and Lisa would be feeling like, oh my god, this night's ruined. So I'm like, I'm gonna make this fun for you. You know what I mean? Like we're gonna like sit down and we can get like into stuff. You know. Well, you know, I it's think like, that- let's hang out and let's have tons of lobster <laughs> yes. and 
and uh, clams and mussels. I think it goes you know back what I mean? to Let's what I really said like... before, which is um, doom is inevitable and gloom is optional, right? So they take mm-hmm. the gloom route. They're like, we yeah. are doomed. We have way too much food, way too and much their drink. doom is, yeah, it is, their doom is, oh no, there's too much lobster. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's as like, opposed to- a ball. As, as opposed to like, <laughs> like, let's make this an evening we're never going to forget. Yeah, um, like the, when the waiters are coming by with more hors d'oeuvres and more lobster, and they're like, "Oh, great, another lobster tail!" I'd be like, come, "Let's go! Come on, this is fun! <laughs> like, this is the only time we get to do this, right?" It's like, let's eat like pigs, and let's be like, <laughs> "Can you believe we killed the amount of food for thirty-one people? Like, can you believe we did that?" Yes. Like, just very uh, succession vibes, where it's like they're just yeah. throwing trash out. Because uh, it's, it's like it's not going to keep, or it's like be like, what can we say? But it's just like, look, there's only so much we could like bring back in our fridge and put in our fridge. Yeah. So it's like, let's just go nuts, or let's just be like, who can we call up right now and be like, get your ass down to this restaurant? Yeah. Let's go. And I mean, you know the what fact I mean? that uh, uh, Billy D. Williams says Lisa's film got into Tribeca. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, then let's make this even more of a party because that's a pretty uh, yeah, big accomplishment. That's, that's a very tough yeah. film festival to get into. Uh, good for you, Lisa. Uh, and instead, we're focusing on the gloom aspect. You know, Mama Wexley yes. is very she upset. She sits off in the corner. Yeah. yeah she, because she she's like, she claims it's air conditioning, but she doesn't want to be a part she, of this. Yeah. She's, she doesn't she's, really approve of Lisa. She's no fun. She doesn't want any fun. She's just really mad that cake yeah. wasn't ordered. Yes, that's the other thing is Lisa, then they're like, oh, dessert is coming. And they're like, oops, I forgot to order the cake. And then this is where, uh-huh. so the re- the relationship between Lisa and, and George Washington is neither of their parents like their spouse. Yeah. Or, or, or neither of their parents like their child's spouse. So they don't like each other. So it's like the father, uh, Lisa's father doesn't like George Washington. Uh, George Washington's mother doesn't like Lisa. They have opposite values. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, George Washington and his mom are, are capitalists. Lisa's not an anti-capitalist by any means, but uh, her father is at least semi-critical you know, critical of capitalism. Right. Uh, he is an artist. And then uh, Lisa sort of like, this. it comes to a head because the, yeah, the mother-in-law is like, oh, uh, how dare you forget the cake? You don't put uh, your husband first. This is not how uh, a woman should act. You need to prioritize being a, a wife and a mother versus your career. Um, and then this inspires Billy D. Williams to be like, well, your son is, you know, he's just a, a lapdog for capital and he doesn't care. The only thing he cares about is profit. And then I thought this was a funny moment where he was like, can you name anything that you do that doesn't revolve around profit? And George Washington kind of has a blank look and he's like, I rest my case. And it's like, well, yeah. Like, why did we even have to have that moment? It's like, this guy's like a banker. It's like, of course. What do you think? (laughs) It's like, what do you think this economy is, dude? It's like everything revolves around profit. We live under capitalism. I, If Miranda is sort of, you know, the every man American or maybe the, the mid to upper mid class American, I wonder how much of this is representations of sort of both ends of the ideological spectrum on the one hand mm-hmm. you have people saying like no art for art's sake uh fuck capital da, 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 da. and the other side going no in order to be successful we must gain capital and then uh 
so what happens uh, next is as sort of, uh, you know, uh, both Billy D. Williams and the mother-in-law, they're, they're going at it and these tensions are rising. Um, Lisa feels pressured to announce that Herbert, that's George Washington's uh, name, Herbert. Herbert, wrote it down, pressures to announce, well, he's actually running for city comptroller. He's not all about profit. He wants to give back. He wants to be a part of local government. And Herbert George Washington is like, I am? Wow. And she's like, oh, hey, you're going to do it. Even though she knows that now, you know, this might, I one could imagine, affect her film or affect her work life. You know, as we have set up that if he runs, he's going to be busier. She's going to have to raise the kids more. Yes. It's this odd moment of... uh kind of a sitcom-esque element of like, well, this thing is happening to shut the family yes. up. But through the framing device of this massive, elaborate party that failed. It's an odd juxtaposition. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm here for it because it's a big swing. Yeah, it's something. And look, I, I can't wait to see them tackle local politics, you know? <laughs> As we all know, how heated the New York City Comptroller race gets, you know, a lot of mudslinging. Yeah. And I mean, know that I've mentioned the allegory of America, but here we're actually going to get to see some of that. And I'd love to see, like, who do we think is running against uh, Herbert slash George Washington as city comptroller? Is it like. No idea. The I hope I hope it's resolved where he's just like, oh, I was running unopposed. <laughs> It's like, turns out it was easy. <laughs> I was running out of post. I mean, what I would they like them to do me. is have, like, you know, a, ah, we had a 23-year-old run against us who's running a better campaign. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, th this is their, like, time to do the, their version of AOC. Yes. Right? Who's, like, she's, like, knocking doors. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, whoa, I'm I'm also down for, for change and progress. But not like that. You're... You know, <laughs> you're being a little too progressive. Yeah. Remember, I'm a Wall Street banker. I can't go for that. Yeah. And to yeah. have... Hey, now, eat the rich? Like... And speaking of eating the rich, uh, so Carrie goes to the... She attends the startup event. Yeah, she attends the startup. Um, uh, which she attends Enid's startup. I guess it's supposed to be an event where she is surrounded by her future, which is women who are 20 years older than her. Yes, women who are just older than her. Yeah. And uh, one of the, uh, the gag that we start this scene off with is Seema's like, just don't get a, a picture with anyone in a walker. Mm -hmm. That would hurt your brand. And then, oh, no, there's a woman with a walker. And Carrie's like, uh, I can't. My hair it looks bad. Uh, Run, bye. Runs past her. Uh, Enid's pants are very wrinkled, which I found odd, considering <laughs> that this character is so well put together. And yes. I was an editor at a fashion magazine for so long. Um, yes. And Enid mentions to Carrie when, when they run into each other, it's like, oh, everyone who's here is only here because they have money. She keeps saying, like, deep pockets. Yes. You know? Yes. Bitsy Von Muffling is here, only here because she has money. And this just made me sad that it's like, this is just purely transactional. It's like, she's starting, you know, Vivant magazine not out of any love or joy or real, you know, it's like the mission statement of like, hey, as we get older, um, you know, we matter too and we should still live life. No, it's just here because I need some money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's all this is. This is not a passion project. This is just 
I, 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 I need money. You know what I mean? Like I, and I'm not willing to, you know, self publish a sub stack or something like Which that. Is, I'm not willing to just, it's odd to me considering that, you know, if we're talking about aging as a theme, is this meant to be, this is a sector of the population that ages and refuses to let go or refuses to mm-hmm. embrace radical acceptance of, well, I was handed a golden parachute. I am older. I'm going to enjoy retirement, you know? Like, yeah. why is Enid not traversing the Amalfi Coast with her new boyfriend? Why is Enid so focused on continuing work? Why are we also conti- focused on continuing work? You know, yes, so much of down as well. work yeah. came into this episode, with the exception of the Miranda Che Lyle triangle, which definitely felt like it was much more focused on less on work and much more about like, well, what happens if you go backwards? And when you're 23, you have a no job, you have Ikea furniture, and you're fucking on it with somebody else sleeping there. Wow, really well said. And yeah, uh, Seema mentions in a previous scene with Carrie that it's like, I'll be, you know, selling penthouses from my grave. Like, there is no retirement for them. There's nothing beyond work. Uh, Yeah, extremely bleak. And so that at this party, a lot of, like, wealthy older women, um, and also Gloria Steinem is here. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you think about this cameo? I mean, it makes sense to me within this world. Yes. It it fits the project as a whole. And it absolutely makes sense that uh, for Carrie, Gloria Steinem would be a huge figure in her life. Now, mm-hmm. to me, Carrie was never a bra-burning women's rights activist. Not at all. But in the way that I'm sure AOC... Or I'm sure other younger politicians are probably influencing young women today. I'm sure Gloria Steinem influenced Carrie in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kind of felt like, okay, why not? It almost felt like a, hey, look at this magic trick. Versus getting another <laughs> actor to play. Yeah. A, oh, that's, you know. Uh, uh, that's that's dear that's Deirdre McKinsley, you know the the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the heiress like of she... Belgium or what have you that like has <laughs> deep pockets and is like always gone around in circles and Carrie's like I've always wanted to meet you we've always yeah, yeah. Missed that would each feel other. a little phony yeah whereas I can buy this um I wrote down there's a line that uh when uh, Gloria Steinem gives a little speech she says every revolution starts with a conversation I wrote down no it does not. <laughs> Yeah, the whole the whole point of a revolution is it's bloody. It's it's a yeah. bloody <laughs> it's nightmare. Like, it starts with a like a shot being fired. It doesn't start with like, hey, let's have a conversation. Yeah, every it's every, like, revolu- such a funny- every revolution begins with a guillotine slamming down on somebody's neck. Yeah, and it's like, of course, Gloria Steinem would say that. You know what I mean? Yes. This is a kind of person who it's like maybe fashions herself a revolutionary, but really um, isn't. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like really uh, ended up. I would say uh, being a much more of a centrist, much more of an agent. Uh, of capital and the status quo, then maybe she uh, would feel comfortable admitting. Um, but yeah, to say like, oh, this is a revolution. This is like not. This is a, a magazine mm-hmm. for wealthy older white women, right? <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Yes, and it and it almost felt like in setting all of this up, I can see from a character standpoint where Enid would be going. Let's get this feminist icon to come in here. Yeah and support this in order for me to mine these women's pockets 
Like you're not just helping me <laughs> yeah, start yeah. a magazine where I'm going to be selling s- a dream, yeah, yeah, a fantasy. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm. You're not just here to donate a hundred grand so I can write about which anti-aging wrinkle cream is going to serve us best. I am here to start a revolution. It's very phony. Um, almost as phony as the fact that for so long, Bitsy Yvonne Muffling, uh, was with Nathan Lane. Bobby and mm-hmm. like finally admits, oh yeah, he was always gay. He was gay, Which, yeah, but he tried very hard in bed, and that's what made him the best lover she ever had. Because it's revealed she is the uh, the a man who was uh, texting uh, Carrie throughout this episode um, that Bitsy was sort of setting Carrie up with this guy. Yeah, because um, he's like, oh, you would like this him. guy uh, uh, who was a human tripod. I used to date apparently, him. yes. Um and which they clarify in case if you if you were watching this and you're like I don't understand why he would be called a human tripod they clarify it's because his penis is like the third uh, leg of the tripod yes yes and then Bitsy also sends Carrie a dick pic yes to prove hey look yeah. my ex's my ex's dick huge phenomenal yeah, gigantic John Ham status yes BDE big dick energy um which then. <laughs> As Carrie has a moment with Enid and says, like... Yes, has a moment with Enid uh, where uh, Carrie learns, like, oh, Enid didn't want Carrie to write for this magazine. And which Carrie takes as a compliment. There's like, oh, you don't think I'm old. But I took it as like, oh, this is, like, rude. You don't, like, give a shit about my writing ability. And even Enid is like, I don't need a thousand word on words on uh, uh, purses. Which is like, oh, that's so shitty and dismissive <laughs> of, like, my work. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, she needs Enid's Carrie's like, money. like, I don't need that. I need money. And your husband died, so, you know, I'm rubbing my fingers together. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm being like, and that guy worked at J.P. Morgan, so. And this guy probably oversaw Epstein's accounts. So, you know, <laughs> let's <laughs> give a little, you know. Was big on the plane? The guys. Was big on the Epstein yeah. plane? <laughs> Was big on the flight logs. I'm going to say he was offered and couldn't ever make it. So he actually <laughs> never went. But he yeah, wasn't going to. He's afraid gonna, to even like commit. But he wasn't going to He can't even commit down. to a flight. Yeah. And then <laughs> later he was like, this guy's getting weird. I'm going to, you know, distance myself. And yeah. then later went, oh, shit, that guy. Oh, wow. Good thing I did that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, Enid is apparently dating the human tripod. It is now super awkward yes. and cringe. Because, yes, oh, because they took a picture together. Oh, yeah, oh, so even just to back up a little bit. So it was like, this is just transactional. It's very sad. Enid just wants money. Carrie's like, Ugh. you know, it's like, well, if I gave you $100,000, uh, then I'd have to give everyone $100,000, echoing what Enid said to her earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and then we just underline this is transactional. And then it looks like, okay, so Carrie's just going to like not give her the money and then not get you know, the promotion, which is essentially like, here, if you can afford it, this is a hundred grand. You're just paying a hundred thousand dollars for this promotion, which it feels like you can do, but whatever. Carrie's not going to do it. They all get a picture with Gloria Steinem together. And then Edith takes Carrie's phone. It's like, let me see how they look. Swipes through, sees the dick pic, immediately recognize that's her boyfriend's dick, um, which, you know, good on her for, for spotting that, <laughs> you know. For being able to tell uh, penises apart and immediately, immediately be like, that's my boyfriend's penis. <laughs> uh, Carrie's like, oh, no, never mind. This was 
uh, Bitsy was trying to set me up with this person, but he's too old for me. And she's like, oh, but I'm old. Which is like, why would you say that? Just be like, you know, the, uh, someone texted this to me because they were trying to set me up. You know, don't say he's too old for me. Just be like, I wasn't interested. It's a beautiful moment of cringe. Just cringe, cringe, cringe. Yeah. For like back and forth for those two pages. Uh, beautifully executed cringe. And, yes. and just. <laughs> and th- this embarrasses Kiri. Yeah. So much that she's like, okay, uh, well, I don't have my checkbook. And then Enid's like, PayPal's fine. And then, and just like that, we became PayPal's is our final line. So I guess Kiri then PayPal'd $100,000. Which I didn't even know you could do. <laughs> that feels like so much to PayPal. The most I've ever gotten from PayPal is a few thousand dollars at like a job. Yeah, same. That I was working where they were like paying me through PayPal. Yeah, the, the, to pay um, that much feels like... It, I, Absolutely insane. hundred grand right now, I'd be like, "Whoa, I don't even know." It's like, well, it's like you just have that in your checking account, like, because uh, I imagine your PayPal's linked to like your checking account. It's not like with your like savings account, right? So it's like she just had an account linked to her PayPal. It's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so it's like a hundred grand out of there. It's like, no, let me write you a what check. What if Carrie's or, a Zell know. person? <laughs> Carrie's yeah. like, I have Zell. Just like that, uh, and we just, became and just Zell like pals. that, we became Zellies. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Yet again, another example in the show where we're throwing money at a problem mm-hmm. rather than taking a moment to fix it. But what I appreciated in this is that at least the money being thrown to fix the issue came about from this cringe moment, as opposed to mm-hmm. having none of that and just saying like, "Here's a check, done," and then. Now we're humiliated anyway. Yes. Now, will Carrie get the like promotion from Enid? I couldn't tell, you know what I mean? Like if she's going to get that. I don't know if she's going to get the blurb. I have no idea. And even if Yeah, well, it's too late for the blurb. Now she wants the thing yes, and ask to, Yeah, you're right. You're right. To yeah. um to to get but to get a little bump. But even if she does get I don't get think the she's going to get that now. I don't know that she's going to get that. I don't know that it matters if she gets it. I mean, nothing matters. Nothing. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, the, the one thing that does matter is that Harry has come again, which um, glad yeah. we solved that. Happy Fourth of July! <laughs> yes, that is the that is the end of that. Harry did his kegels and he is able to produce spunk. Ah! Oh. And that is oh, that was the other thing that, that like was weird to me. So it was it is explicitly mentioned that normally Harry comes inside of her, but. He gets to come on her tits as like a little treat. Yeah. Which I'm like, is that like better? You know what I mean? Like, is that like why? But whatever. <laughs> if that's like, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into, you know? It's but. it's the fact that it's like called out in this way. Whereas like, yeah. it, it just feels like it uh, didn't need to be called out. It wasn't part of the issue. Uh, no. It, speaking of calling out. What predictions would you like to call out for next week's episode? Uh, man, it is Because I so... could not have predicted all this come talk, so... No. It is so hard to predict. I I wonder if we're going to get more about Carrie and her book. Like, Carrie's going to have to do something else that she deems humiliating, but is actually just standard practice mm-hmm. now in order to push the book. Or she, Carrie will have writer's block because... That she's on two of three. Um, mm-hmm. I predict we're going to get some outrageous moment with Seema of some kind, but I don't know what that is yet. 
but Seema is going to do something that I think. Okay, I think Miranda is going to have to peg Lyle like <laughs> that. Like it's going to be like to take this relationship to the next level. Yeah, I need you to like to peg. Lyle yeah. and Miranda's gonna have a big like, well, do I do this? But then it's like, oh, I like it. But then it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like she's just gonna get like deep into like a weird poly. Yeah. With Che. Yeah. And it's just gonna be like very uncomfortable. Yeah, they're gonna have a sort of an ethical non-monogamy thing going on, except that they're not even uh married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yes. and then two I, people I who also, are in open I think- relationships. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I'm also going to say, like, we're going to find out. Maybe the, uh, we, we will find out that Big was on Epstein's flight. <laughs> That's going to, like, come out. Because, you know, this show was brave enough to confront COVID. I think this show was brave enough to confront Jeffrey Epstein and brave enough to say, like, these characters knew him. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, that they were at, like, parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's photos. Ghislaine. There's- <laughs> like, yeah. There's Oh, if they do, like, a Photoshop where it's just, like, Ghislaine <laughs> and, like, and, like, Carrie at, like, some event. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, just hats may off. May he rot in the deepest, darkest pits of hell. What yes. an awful, beyond it's, awful. Uh, I don't have the words to describe. True predator. Yeah, just you know, a real. I don't know. I don't have the, the words to describe. Yeah, exactly. Time. Like just d- deepest, deepest, darkest, isolated pits of hell. Just birdied forever is what I hope for that man. Yes. So I hope that and just like that can confront the you know the horrors and abuses committed by both Jeffrey Epstein and Karina I'm also going to predict that next episode we find out that Che Pasa is either a not picked up or b picked up but only for like six episodes. It's like a mid season pickup, mm-hmm. and this yeah. infuriates Che to no degree. I hope I hope we get to see the writers' room. I hope I think that writer's room is gonna be really funny. Just Che in that writer's room just being like, Ugh, this is not authentic to my experience. You know what I mean? Like everyone's yes. writing so everyone loves to write for Tony, right? Everyone's pitching all these Tony Danza storylines <laughs> where it's yes. like, what if Tony wins the lottery? What if like Tony then he buys, you know, like a sports car? And then oh, we got Jay Leno for an episode, and then he could do a scene with Jay where it's like Jay's uh, like a mechanic and like fixes up his car. Which I believe is maybe a home improvement episode, <laughs> but I don't know. But you know what I mean? Everyone gets excited for pitching uh, Tony Danza storylines, and Che's like, well, what about Che? I'm the Che right. in Che Passa. Right. The show feels like, you know, much like how Homer became the main character of The Simpsons rather than Bart, <laughs> this feels like, uh, you know, Tony's taking over Che Passa, which I think that would be very funny. I also like the idea of the writer's. Being involved, and then Miranda comes in to try to do, uh, I'll say, you know, she makes an allusion in this episode about, like, when I, when you guys were in your poly phase, I was cutting up carrots for Brady. And the idea of Miranda coming into, coming into the writer's room that she is not supposed to be in at all, and just showing up and being like, I have things to say. I have things mm. to say about... What you're doing for Che, like, uh, like a weird mama bear kind of thing. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? How dare you? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like, uh, like this. This is nothing like what Che would say. 
Right. Yeah. And it's like, who are you? Jay doesn't and what talk are you like this. Doing here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Jay's so much funnier than this dialogue. What do you do? You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. I, I also kind of want to see. I would love to see Che tries to do a, st- uh, a set at a alternative comics location because oh, I yeah. think we've seen them at uh, the Improv Cellar or or not. Sorry, I'm getting the comedy cellar and the Improv mixed up, but but something comedy store, something that's a, a bigger stage. It would be great mm-hmm. to see uh, Che's going to perform in some back alleyway, um, you know, with some show that's. Uh, got like flyers taped around Brooklyn uh, and it's Che attempting to connect with a younger audience and they're mm-hmm. like boo and it just becomes some comment on you know what how bad Che is that their comedy I don't know because I, I still am flabbergasted at the idea that like they got this thing in the first place yeah, well, Ugh. it is what it is, and nothing really matters. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. It's dynamic. It is what it is. I gotta go. To, I, gotta, I gotta go down to the bar. Scout. I got scout. My That's bar. my bar. <laughs> scout. That's my bar. <laughs> and with that, I'll see you next week. <laughs>